Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We will finish chapter 6, Lord willing, this morning. We'll consider a short text, just three verses. Romans chapter 6, 12, 13, and 14 will be our text before us this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Welcome every single one of you here this morning. Those of you that are joining us online, welcome to you as well. You know, I think, I think we get into this habit of going to church. Like, that's what we do, and that's a good thing. But today, I, I want to uh, maybe remind you and, and even warn you, let's, let's not just, like, check the box today. Like, okay, did that, good to go, check the box, went to church. I am well aware how hard it is for you and how hard you work in listening to the preaching of the Word of God. Okay, you can't like drift. Like you drift, you're in trouble. You drift, you lose it. So you have to stay kind of what? Leaning in a little bit. I am well aware how challenging that can be in light of all that's going on around you. But let me, let me just preface our, our time together this morning and the text before us. We have to, together as a church, Lean in, and we have to listen particularly to these three verses today. They, they have been pressing heavy on my heart. My heart has, in a sense, kind of been wrung out in many ways when we examine the, the subject of what it means to yield to God and thus examine what, what, what place are we giving to, to sin that exists and abides in our own heart and in our own life. Therefore, we have some work before us this morning. So I just, I, I commend you for your faithfulness, for being here, for tuning in. Commend you for working hard. But don't, don't check the box off this morning. This is an important message from the word of the Lord to us, to me and to you this morning. I need help. We all do as we come before the throne of grace Let's bow our heads and pray and ask that God help us listen and learn this morning. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for waking us up another day. For just the brilliance of the blue sky. And the, the brightness of the sun. That even on a cold day, when we, when we lean into it, we can, we can begin to sense its warmth. I thank you, Lord, that you've brought us together, whether or not physically here in this one building or, or people spread out, listening. Lord, I, I confess that at times I can check the box. And I pray, Lord, that we would not do that this morning. Father, please speak to us as we need to hear from you. Please help us, Lord, to to listen to the Holy Spirit, examine our hearts and lives. That we, would, that we would work in such a way, Lord, that pleases you because it moves us toward you, towards holiness. We admit and confess that we just don't have what it takes in our own strength, and so we need yours. I do pray, Lord, specifically for those that are struggling right now. I lift up our dear brother and sister Jay Linnell. Lord, we just continue to plead on their behalf. Give strength. If it's your will, bring healing. We do think of dear uh, Sophia Hamilton who had surgery this week. We do thank you, Lord, for good reports. We do pray now for her in a long process of healing that you would bring her back to full strength soon. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to to, to come alongside of one another in times of difficulty. To be the church. Help us, Lord, to, to do that well. Help me, Lord, please. Everything that is said and done this morning may be for your glory. In your glory alone, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> amen and amen. Knowing everything we've learned so far, we've, we've worked our way through five plus almost six chapters of Romans, knowing all the things that God has done on our behalf. He has offered to us salvation. 
He's justified us. He's declared us righteous. And we learned last week what, that righteousness is with, is with purpose leads us to holiness. Therefore, we learned the importance of what? Living dead to sin and alive to God. Last week, we looked at a new life brings a new walk. Meaning that we, we do not, we cannot let sin have dominion over our lives. Now today what happens is the author, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, builds upon that specifically saying this, if you let sin go, it'll go. That's what he's saying. Years ago, I um, grew up for a number of years in Canada. We had a number of horses, and, and, I, and I loved to ride one particular horse. It was Napaloosa. His name was Apache. Beautiful, beautiful horse. Wide open fields and trails. And when you let Apache go, I'll tell you what, it was hard to rein him in. He loved to run. What, what the author is saying, if you let sin go, it'll go. Not only will it reign in your life and rule in your life, it will wreck and it will ruin your life. Every single part of it. And if that's not bad enough, on top of all of that, worse, our choosing to sin dishonors the one true holy, living God who loved you enough to offer his own son to die in your place. That's why this subject is of great weight this morning. Let me direct your attention to verse 12. Romans chapter 6. We'll pick it up, read to the end of the chapter. Words will be in front of you on the screen. Reading from the English Standard Version. The word of the Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Real quick, for clarity, it may or may not be obvious, but we just read that word members. Like what exactly, just so that you understand, we're simply referring to parts of your body. Okay, the New International Version would say any part of yourself. So what we're talking about is what? Our head, eyes, ears, hands. Mouth, feet, the, the reason that we need to be clear on that, number one is this, first point. If you yield to your passions, sin will reign in your life. If you yield, give in, sin will reign. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. What, what, what do we see here before us? What do we read before us? Remembering that it comes on the heels of what we learned last week. You must consider yourselves dead to sin. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. I think a perfect illustration that we can consider this morning. I heard one pastor use this. It comes directly from the pages of scripture. John chapter 11. And your mind is flipping through John chapter 11. It's Jesus in Bethany. Bethany's a little town, not Bethlehem. Jesus in Bethany, two miles on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And, and he has been called. And Jesus in John chapter 11 comes to the house of his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and what? Their brother Lazarus, a close friend. And Lazarus has just died. As a matter of fact, by the time Jesus gets there, apparently he took his time. Lazarus had been dead four days. So Jesus comes into Bethany to be with his family. And what? Come quickly because Lazarus is sick. Oh, Lazarus is dead. He's died four days. Jesus comes in and he calls Lazarus forth from the grave. 
point of celebration, but immediately, as soon as he said that, there was a concern. What happens to a body after four days? There was a concern. People were talking about, hey, Jesus... Um, the, the process of decomposition would have already started. You're talking about a hot, barren region. They're actually concerned. It says that we're concerned he's going to stinketh by this time. That's what happens. Like, you're calling him forward, but he's going to stink. And we know what happens. John chapter 11. When, when Lazarus came out, it actually, we have to, he kind of came out like this. Why? Because he was actually wrapped up. Wrapped up from head to toe in grave clothes. Part of the process of embalming a body. In that era, in that time. With little pieces of cloth that had been ripped, thin strips, and wrapped around him. And Jesus says this, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Now, this story is a vivid picture of every single person who comes to salvation. When you are converted, you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. You receive him. You're converted. You've gotten saved. You are born again. You become fully spiritually aware by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have been freed. But what happens? You're still wrapped up. You're still, in a sense, bound up in these old, stinking, smelling grave clothes of your old sinful life. Now, the difference is what? In, in Lazarus's case, his old clothes were removed immediately. Let me tell you this morning, ours don't come off quite so easy. Our old sinful clothes don't come off quite so fast. And for some reason, we actually get tempted to wrap ourselves back up in the what? In the stinking, smelling clothes that we used to wear. We get tempted to do that. And so what happens is there's a battle that exists. There's a war within us, a fight that the Apostle Paul is actually addressing in our text for us this morning. Therefore, the, the, the admonition, therefore, the clear command, don't, don't let sin reign. It's written in such a way that Paul is, he's, he's personifying sin here. What is personification of something? Something that's inanimate, you're making it what? Animate. Back in Genesis chapter 4, I thought about this actually in the middle of the night, and I, and I woke up this morning, I wrote that down. It says what? If, 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 you, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. In a sense, it's what? It's personifying sin. This is what Paul does here by personifying sin, that what? Having been dethroned... Sin has been moved off the throne, but sin is still very, very powerful. And what sin is determined to reign again in your life. Sin is determined to rule your life once again, the way that it used to. And this is, this is accurate because in our present life, what you and I know, the world that we live in, it is very, very powerful force that we know needs to be battled on a daily basis, every single one of us. Why? Because it, it should not reign. It cannot reign. It has no right to reign. It has no power to reign unless what? Unless you as a Christian choose to obey its passions. To obey its passions. Epithemia is the word passions here. Well, what does that mean? It means if you obey what? Something that is deep with inside of you. If you obey your deep desires, like you have them, I have them. If you obey the lust that exists, the craving, the longing, 
Apostle John calls it what? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can take many of our sins and we can put them into one of those three categories right there. Think about this. We have within us a passion, a longing to feel and to feel something that, that feels good to us. We have within inside us a desire, what? To see things and to sense things. We have a passion, we have an appetite for food, a passion for sex, a longing and a craving. I want to be heard. I want to matter. I want to be understood. I want to be celebrated. I want to be rewarded. We can summarize all of our lives with two words. I want. Two words. We want. We want more. We want better. We want it again. We want. Now what? Now what? Now, now, we can and we must remember that a Christian, and we've talked about this, is a new creation in Christ, a new creature in Christ. What? His soul, her soul, we know has been created in the image of God, which means our soul is, a part of us is eternal. It's immortal. A part of us is totally outside the reach and the realm of sin and death. But the only remaining place that sin can attack a Christian is what? Is in his or her body. The mortal part, the physical part, the temporal part of us. Now thankfully we know that one day we will be given a glorified body. Oh, how we look forward to that. My thumb will work right one day. I have long, flowing, golden locks. We look forward. We'll be glorified. We will not sin because sin will not be present. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Until that time, we have a body that is screaming. Eyes and ears and a mouth and a stomach and a mind that longs to feel the pleasures that are around us. We know that God has created us with pleasure. We're not, we're not saying that what? You have to like the ascetic lifestyle of a monk and chain yourself to the wall. We're not talking. God has created us to enjoy pleasure. Many, many pleasures. And we rejoice in that. And we should rejoice for that. Praise God for that. But what? If we give in to our pleasures all of the time, if we give in to every single urge whenever we want it, what happens to us? Unrighteousness is unto sin. You give your body, you give your mind, you give your eyes whatever you want, whenever you want. Unrighteousness is unto sin. And sinful acts confirm and strengthen sinful habits. Let me say that again. Write that down. Remember this. Sinful acts confirm and strengthen sinful habits. Why can't I break this habit? Because you keep doing the same thing. Always remember that what? One sin begets another. And I'm not just speaking about the frequency of it. I'm speaking about the ease of it. The more you let yourself go into sin, the more that you think about it and practice it, the easier it is to continue on. If I heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. I'm someone who said I was 14 years old when somebody gave me my first drink. Of alcohol. And they didn't, they didn't envision themselves sleeping on the side of the street somewhere. And, and it begins like that. 
If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. I was 11 years old when my, what, my older brother introduced me to pornography. He said, look at this. And they, they didn't envision the destruction that would come years later. Heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. From someone who said, yeah, it was, I was 16 and, and, I, and I stole. I just stole something little and man, it just felt so powerful. It felt so exciting. And they don't realize where that sin takes them. That's the reason that Paul writes to us to admonish us. This is an admonishment for us this morning. That's why I'm like, don't check off the box here. Don't give in. Don't give in. Don't give in to your passions. Later he wrote to Titus, what? In Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled or to live sober-minded, upright, and godly. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. So Paul is writing to young men here. First to Titus, now to Timothy. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and what? And self-control. Sober-minded. Things are under control. Second Timothy chapter 3. There's a great warning, a grave warning for us. There's a, there's a flashing light above this text. Warning. Like one translation says this, but mark this. Know this, remember this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. Listen to this, without control, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Look around us in the world that exists. I, I think, according to this description, at some level, we're living in the final days. That's the reason, that's the importance for us to know in, in righteousness, it's moving us. It's preparing us for holiness. You yield to your passions and sin will reign. Number two, thankfully, if you yield to God, grace will reign. I love this. It says, present yourselves to God. The, the members, every single party, present yourself to God. You know, now I didn't focus on it in the first part. I know that the word's there, but I decided to focus on the second point here. What, what does the word present mean? Like, okay, that word, I'm going to present myself. Here I am, God. Like, I'm not exactly sure. Like, what do you mean? Like, do I wrap myself up in a present? Wouldn't he like that? I'm to present myself. The word literally translates exactly alongside the word yield. Let me give you a little visual here. I'm learning from some godly older men. Eugene Byers says, Tim, you have to remind people visually. And so this is, this is how, th th when you think of the word yield, what comes to mind? Boom! Is that like, is that smooth transition or what? Just hold that for a moment. And, and some of you are in the midst of it. I know some of you are in the midst of it. When you see that sign, you think of this. Pennsylvania Code, Title 75, Vehicles, Chapter 33, Rules of the Road, Section 3323, Duties at Yield Signs. Listen very carefully. Who writes these things? Like, zero personality. Okay. <laughs> this is not a lot of fun. The driver of a vehicle approaching a yield sign shall in obedience, I'm, I'm reading it with zero personality because it's, I think it's appropriate. The driver of a vehicle approaching a yield sign shall in obedience to the sign slow down to a speed reasonable for the existing conditions and if required for safety to stop. Shall stop before entering a crosswalk on the near side of the intersection or if none, then at the point nearest the intersection roadway where the driver has a view of approaching traffic on the intersecting roadway before entering after slowing down or stopping the driver, blah, 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 blah. We get it. What does that mean? 
Here it is. Here's a, when we yield to God, we present ourselves to God, it means what? It literally means we slow down, we slow down, we pause, we look, and we stop when necessary. Why? Because somebody of greater authority has the right, right away. Now we stop, why? Because God desires to direct us to live in grace. Okay, yield to God, it makes sense, I guess. We, we let God have the right away. It sounds good, it sounds right. But again, I come back to how. I'm a practical guy. Tell me, tell me how. If you recall, which I'm sure that you do, just last week we talked about what? The Lord has given to us everything that is necessary to move us from righteousness to holiness. It's jogging your mind from last week, right? Now there's three things that God has given to us to move us from righteousness to holiness. What are those three things? Some of you are like, ah, I checked out. Could you remind me this morning, Pastor Tim, just in case? Three things God has given to us to move us from righteousness to holiness. What? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Therefore, we know what? To yield to God means that we specifically what? Yield to the Word of God, first and foremost. I think it is, you, you go to bigwoods.org. The number, like, what do we believe? Okay, there's a key part. Number one, top of the list, like who we are as a people before anything else. Everything pivots on this. Who are we? What do we believe? Number one, we believe what? The final authority for faith, life, and practice is in the Word of God. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Number one, which means what? We have got to learn to yield to the Word of God. We do this first and foremost by immersing ourselves in its depth and submitting to it in its width. You immerse yourselves in the depth, you get down into the, like the, the depths of the mine and you continue to just mine out what? Riches after riches after riches. This is what? This is full obedience. So when we read something, and we read the Old Testament through the, the lens of the New Testament, we read the New Testament through the lens of the Old, okay? So we know that when we read it, we read it with full obedience and adherence to its wisdom. We're listening to its guidance. We're basking in its blessing. Why is it practical? Old Jimmy, he would what? Throw Jimmy in the fire. Martin Luther would say. James chapter 1. What? We are to be doers of the word, not just hearers. You guys have heard a lot. I've heard a lot. At some level, we got to, what? Put what we've heard into action. So we yield to, uh, we submit to God first by submitting to his word. Immersing ourselves in its depth, submitting to it in its width. The second thing, what? We are to yield to the Spirit of God. But we're, we're a Baptist church here. We're Southern Baptists. And, and you know, we don't want the Holy Spirit to get too out, too wild, too crazy. No, no, we're, we're supposed to be sensitive. The Holy Spirit is present with us. The Holy Spirit is present in us. You realize that when we are sensitive, that we are acute and our ears and our hearts and minds are aligned to the Holy Spirit, He regularly speaks to us. So we're to be sensitive when the Holy Spirit is speaking us, prompting us, like, hey, go ahead. Ask the question. The Holy Spirit prompts us to say, no, 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 don't go there. Don't say that. Holy Spirit is here, present, live, convicting us. You realize that when you receive salvation, 
What has been offered to you is that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Jesus Christ himself says, what, you want me as Lord? I've given to you my Savior to help you all the time. To be a helper to you, to be a comforter to you. Now what does that mean? You ever run a yield sign before? Yeah, you have. That's not only a dumb thing to do, it's a dangerous thing to do. It is dumb and it is dangerous to run a yield sign. Why? They serve a purpose to not only protect you, but to protect everyone else. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, what? Is there for a purpose to guide you, to help you, to convict you from your foolishness and my foolishness, to comfort you in those times of mourning and groaning. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, do not quench the Spirit of God. There's a command that says when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, I tell you what, you do not, you do not run that yield. I, I find it as well that when we kind of silence, we, we sequester the Holy Spirit to the side, like, okay, we're going to do what we want. I'm going to read the Bible, but I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay, it gets easier and easier and easier. You just stop your ears. You, you, okay, nobody just wakes up sinning. You consciously decide to do something stupid. You consciously decide to say, you know what, I really, I really shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. You run a yield sign. What happens? You're not submitting. You're not presenting yourselves to God. Present yourself to God. Yield to God, yield to the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Listen to this one. This is so key. This is why, this is why I'm like local church through and through, okay? Just squeeze me, and I drip local church. That's why we need the people of God. I tell you once, tell you a thousand times, you hang around by yourself all the time, you're just going to get weirder than you already are. I mean, you have got, we have got to be, we have got to be connected with one another. Therefore, actually, according to the authority of the Word of God, one of the ways that we present ourselves to God or yield to God is we actually yield to the people of God, to other people who speak into our lives. When we hear and when we heed the wisdom of others, whom God has purposely placed in our life. Yeah, but I don't know about their wisdom. You know, they're not perfect. Wait a minute. Wait, just what's the test here? A godly person offers godly wisdom. An ungodly person offers ungodly wisdom. So we know that if a person, a man or a woman, is offering you instruction that A, does not align with the Word of God, and it does not align to what the Holy Spirit of God is saying that we know is going to match the Word of God, then guess what? That's not what you're yielding to. I think it would be a really good idea for you to rob a bank. My brother in the Lord, I have to yield. That's, no, no, it doesn't align. Every bit of wisdom when a brother says, I think you need to be praying more about this. That's where we yield to the Word of God, Spirit of God, and people of God. Proverbs chapter 12. At some, at some I, I know maybe I shouldn't say it, it's not in my notes, but at some level, I wish that Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, I wish that he would have listened to the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God a little bit more. Just a little bit more, side note. But he still wrote this. And this is, this is now the word of God for us. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That's the, that's the people that are sitting alone. Seems good to me. Click. Purchase. Another piece, please. Seems right to me. No, no. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens. A wise woman listens to advice. People oftentimes come to me, Pastor, I'm just kind of wondering what I should do like with my life. What, the same thing, well, let's see what the Word of God has for us. <clears throat> Finally, what does the yielding to God lead to? 
So I'm, I'm, I'm presenting myself. I mean, what, what now, now what happens? It leads to something. Thankfully, it yields to uh, what? It yields to the place that grace, grace reigns. Grace will reign, which is what? This is true, uh, what we call unmerited favor from the most gracious, most holy Loving God. Grace will reign. Unmerited favor will reign in my life. It comes to me from God so that that same grace that has been shown to me can now be shown toward others. What has been shown to me, I don't deserve it. And I've received God's grace. His unmerited I am now to what? Shovel that off to others in what I call a sweetness and a celebration of true grace. That's, that's what it looks like. You forgive someone who has offended you. Why? Because you have been forgiven. That's what it looks like. That's, that's the sweetness and the celebration. You, you, you are patient with someone else. Oh, that is so hard. But no, no, you're going to display patience. Why? Because a gracious God has been so patient with me. I'm, I'm going to love. There's, like, there's not a lot of love like in my flesh, like not a lot. But I'm going to love. Why? Because I have been loved when I don't deserve it. You are to love because you've been loved. You are to show mercy because you have been shown mercy. And, and as that happens, as that happens, what happens? If sin begets more sin, grace begets more grace. Now we're cooking. Now, now we're cooking. It doesn't mean that we fly around with what, I like Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it, cheap grace. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. There's a lot of, lot of that slop going around. We're not talking cheap grace. Bonhoeffer says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. We're not preaching cheap grace. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. So we know it's not cheap grace, but what is it? It's, it's true grace. Just as we have received it, we what? We reveal it to others. We reveal it to others. Who alongside of us, together, we're surrendering together. We are submitting together. We are yielding to a God of grace to live holy for His glory. Before we, before we dare before we dare approach the communion table. We need to ask together, are we yielding to God? Are we presenting ourselves? Romans chapter 12, you present yourself holy. Have, have you prayed? Do, do, do you confess? Is it like, is it practice? And not just, we talked last week, not just confess, Lord, forgive me, but do you confess to the one that you've sinned against? Do, do you ask for help? Do you ask for forgiveness? Do you ask, like, how? And do you commit to do that? As, as we carefully, carefully, carefully approach the communion table, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Now, thankfully, praise God that as we are reminded what it means to yield to God, we have before us the most wonderful, perfect, living illustration, analogy. The bread that is a picture of the body of Christ that was nailed to the cross for you. What? A way of atonement, justification, righteousness, Jesus, what was nailed to the cross, not only to atone for our sins, but to call us to live in response, in holiness. The blood 
The, the cup that we drink is a picture of the blood of Christ that washes away this morning, even on my knees this morning, praying from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean and wash me, please, Lord. I know, wash me that I shall be whiter than snow. It only happens through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a reminder before us. What is communion? Two words. Common union. Which means what? All different types of people here. Different ages. Like there's big ones and little ones and short ones and old ones and young ones and good-looking ones and not-so-good-looking ones. You know, you know what? You know what? What draws us in common union is that we all know, if we know, if we know anything, we know that we are great sinners. But we know that we have a greater Savior. And what draws all of the fragmented pieces of our minds and the tattering kind of pieces of our ragged lives and the craziness and the busyness of what, what has happened in the past week or what's going to happen in the week to come, what draws all of us together in common union is the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. And so we have before us a reminder of this is, this is why we gather this is why we must. This defines us as a church. Jesus Christ himself taught what? Do this. Do this. Don't ever forget what I've done. And so he gave to what? Those like, like us, those kind of slow learning disciples, hard-headed disciples. He gave to them. He's like, guys, I'm going to give you this. Hold on to this. Remember this. This is what? This is not my body. This is a picture of my body. This is bread. And they're like, uh-huh. And he said, what I want you to do when you gather together is I want you to take a piece of bread and I want you to break it. And every time you break it, I want you to think of my body that was broken for you. And, and not, not only do I want you to break it, I want you to eat it. And eat it slowly thinking about what Jesus Christ has done for you. They came after Jesus with a sword. And every single one of those disciples scattered but one. Every one of them bolted. Why? Because we don't like to suffer. We don't want our bodies to feel pain. Jesus said, I'll take it for you. And what? He poured out, he took the fruit of the vine and he poured out a cup in front of them. And he said, I want you to drink this. And every time you drink it, you remember what, what I've done for you. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness, remission of sins. And they passed it around. They drank a sip. Drink it slowly. You know, as we prepare for the communion table, we prepare in our hearts, in our lives. Righteousness, we're grateful for what Jesus Christ has done but it leads us to holiness. And I, th and I think we need to, as a church, we just pause in quietness and come before the communion table of the Lord with confession. Say, Lord, forgive me. I I'm involved in things I shouldn't be involved in. I'm looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. I'm talking to people I shouldn't be talking to. I'm talking in a certain way that I should not be talking and I'm harboring this bitterness like towards others. And, and I have this pride that exists in my life. I, I think I'm better than. Lord, whatever it is, please just take that from me. And I think before we approach communion, we approach it with confession. Say, Lord, forgive me. And so together, as a body of believers, we're brothers and sisters in Christ in the presence of our Heavenly Father. I want to invite you to take time to do that this morning. Just say, Lord, forgive me. Because I'm checking a box here. Like, I'm doing this. But I'm letting sin go. And if you let sin go, it goes. Not just to a place of reign and rule, but to a place of wrecking 
and ruining. So today is a wonderful moment that has been ordained since the very foundations of the earth were set for us to get our heart aligned. Righteousness leads us to holiness. We're going to take a moment or two just in silence. I'm not going to invite the men up right now to serve you. We're just going to take a moment and we're going to pray. And then we'll invite the guys up. Let's bow your heads and pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. I'm going to invite the uh, guys, uh, elders and, and deacons to come forward. Um, just in light of, we need to be careful with how communion is served. We're not going to bring it to you. So there's five stations. There's three up here. There's two in the back. Um, just take a moment. And when you go to one of these stations, uh, the guys will hand you. They'll have... Um, gloves on and everything's sanitized. Um, um, they'll hand you the, the bread and the cup together. And then I would ask that you go back to your seat. And then I'll pray and, and bless both of them. And we'll take that together um, as family. So gentlemen, thank you for serving.
Would you bow your heads and, and pray with me? Father, we are just grateful for an opportunity to commemorate and to celebrate the communion table this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of what it means that all of us are sinners. But thankfully, Lord, we rejoice that you are our Savior. We thank you, Lord, for suffering on our behalf, for allowing your body to be broken, your blood to be poured out out of just sheer love for us. And now I pray, Lord, that if we would take this moment to examine our own life and heart, to, to make the changes that need to be made to confess what we need to confess. And we just plead, Lord, that you, you would give us the strength to make us holy as you are holy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the very night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. May the Lord bless. Thank you, Pastor Tim. I invite you to stand with us as we close now together. <clears throat>